So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Brothers and sisters, friends, neighbors, I am here for one reason and one reason only. One of these days, you're going to die. Or the world is going to end on you. And when that happens, I want you to wake up in the arms of Jesus. That's it. That's the reason I'm here. I want you to wake up in the arms of Jesus. I'm not really all that concerned if you like me. I mean a little bit. I'm not going to deny that. But I am not as concerned in a very real sense that whether you agree with everything I have to say, what I'm concerned about is that you wake up in the arms of Jesus. And I recognize that you here, an hour and a half, two hours away from where I live, are coming in contact with a whole bunch of people that I will never, ever meet. And what I hope you will realize is that every person you know and every, every person that you meet one day will die. Or the world will end on them. And I hope that by the time we're done tonight, you will want them to wake up in the arms of Jesus. And that that will be the thing that drives you as you leave this building tonight to know that we're running into people all over the place. And we want them to wake up in the arms of Jesus. Because of that, we're going to talk about making disciples. Because it's disciples that wake up in the arms of Jesus. And only disciples. Nobody else. Only disciples of Jesus Christ. Because only disciples are in His arms now. And what we experience is that one day all of this physical realm that we live in is going to be taken away from us. Either because of our death or because of the end of time. And all that's going to be left in that moment is us and Jesus. And in that moment, we will either be separated from Him, maybe having held Him at arm's length, or we will be in embracing Him and embraced by Him. Disciples are people who embrace Jesus. And it's disciples who, when that moment comes and all of this is stripped away, wake up in the arms of Jesus. That's what this is about, making disciples. And I know you guys are about making disciples. Your sign says, Jesus said, come to me and I will make you fishers of men. What an awesome sign when you're, what, 500, mi 500 miles, 500 feet from the ocean. I saw someone heading with a fishing pole just a few minutes ago. We've got our fishing poles, right? We're here to be fishing for men. I want to talk about making disciples so that folks can wake up in the arms of Jesus. I'm going to say another prayer. Would you bow with me, please, before we start talking about that? 
Almighty God and Father in heaven, thank you so much for this opportunity for these brothers and sisters, your son's disciples, who have gathered together here tonight, learning about discipleship, concerned about being more like your son, and wanting to draw others in to be more like your son, Jesus. Help us tonight. I know all we're going to be able to do is look at the very surface of this. But I pray, Father, that for every one of us in this room, this will be a springboard that will cause us to focus our minds and our intentions and our hearts on being more like your Son and helping others be more like your Son. Father, the kingdom that you are building with us is immense and amazing. And it just humbles me that we get to be a part of that. And then we get to draw others in as living stones to be built up into the walls of your house and your city. Thank you for that opportunity. Help us as your children to be living stones, to make living stones, to be a part of that kingdom, a part of that city, a part of that house, to be a special royal chosen priesthood that offers up praise to your name and sacrifices that bring honor and glory to you. Help us tonight to get a little glimpse of the mission that you have for us, the call, the commission. This is bigger than any one of us, but we can work together to accomplish. Help us to be disciple-making disciples. Father, we do love you. And we thank you for loving us first. Through your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So I want to talk to you about making disciples wherever you go. When we're done tonight, here's what we're going to know. We're going to know the two overarching principles of disciple-making, and we're going to know the two vital behaviors of disciple-making, and then we're going to take a look at an example of Jesus where he demonstrates all of that in one fell swoop. We're going to take a look at him with the woman at the well, and we're going to see how it all fits there. So we're going to, we're going to learn two overarching principles that govern disciple-making. We're going to learn two vital behaviors that guarantee disciple-making. Then we're going to see an example from Jesus that shows that. So let's begin with the two overarching principles that govern disciple-making. The two overarching principles that govern disciple-making. The first one is found in Luke chapter 6, and verse 40. In Luke chapter 6 and verse 40, we learn the definition of disciple-making, or we can extrapolate the definition of disciple-making. In Luke chapter 6 and verse 40. In Luke chapter 6 and verse 40, what it says is, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. If you have the King James Version, I think it actually says master there. So the master teacher, he is our master, he is our teacher, and we are learning from him. That is a disciple. And when we understand this idea of a disciple who is being trained to be like Jesus because Jesus is his master, then what we really see is the two-step process of what disciple-making is, the definition of disciple making. Disciple making is not getting people baptized. We're going to see how that fits, but disciple making is not getting people baptized. And I want us to understand that. We need to see how baptism fits in that process, but we need to understand what disciple making really is. We see a two-step process in disciple making. The first thing that I hope we recognize from Luke chapter 6 and verse 40 is that Disciple-making is training someone to give their allegiance to Jesus as their master or as their teacher. Remember what it said in Luke chapter 6 and verse 40? A disciple is someone who is like their teacher. Who are we trying to be like? We're trying to be like Jesus. We're trying to be like Jesus. But we're trying to be like Him for a reason. We are trying to be like Him because He is our teacher. He is 
our master. This is important to understand. Because disciple-making is not just making somebody who's a little bit more like Jesus today than they were yesterday. Disciple-making is someone uh, training someone to be like Jesus because Jesus is their master. Because Jesus is their master. He is their teacher. There are a lot of people that are nice. Is Jesus nice? There, there are a lot of people who do good things. Jesus do good things? There are a lot of people we know that in many ways are like Jesus. There are a lot of things that Jesus said that people even in our culture today like and mirror and imitate. And yet Jesus is not their master. They're not doing those things because Jesus is their master. They're just doing those things because they like those things. And coincidentally, in those ways, they are like Jesus. I think about the rich young ruler. Do you remember him? We call him the rich young ruler there in Matthew chapter 19. In Matthew chapter 19, this rich young man comes running up to Jesus and says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's in verse 16. Jesus, of course, said to him something along the lines of, why do you call me good? There's only one good, that's God. And then he says, hey, you know what the law says. Keep the law, keep the commandments. Well, what do you mean? Well, you know, don't, don't kill your father or your mother. Uh, don't Honor your father and mother. Don't kill. Maybe I should just read it instead of trying to. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall honor your father and mother. What did he say? I've done all of these from my youth up. I've done all of these things. Wow, that's a lot like Jesus. Jesus never killed anybody. Jesus never stole anything. Jesus never lied. Jesus honored his father and his mother. Here's a guy that's a lot like Jesus, right? And yet he's not a disciple. He's almost a disciple, but he's not a disciple. Why is he not a disciple? Because when Jesus told him, you lack one thing, go and sell all you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me, what did he do? He went away sad. Why did he go away sad? This is why Jesus says to him, why are you calling me good teacher? There's only one good, that's God. What Jesus is really highlighting is this man has come because he likes some of the things Jesus says. But he hasn't come because he really believes this is the good teacher from God. Because if he really believed this was the good teacher from God, what's he going to do? Everything Jesus says. But he doesn't really believe that. His similarity to Jesus has just been coincidental. There's a lot of ways in which he's like Jesus. And had Jesus told him more things that he liked to hear, he would have become like Jesus in those things too. But not because Jesus was his master, just because he happened to like some of the things Jesus said. What we need to understand is that the first aspect of training and making disciples is training folks to give allegiance to Jesus as master, as teacher. If, that, if I'm not allied to Jesus as my master, as my teacher, I am not his disciple. And so when I am making disciples, I'm making people whose allegiance has been given to Jesus as master and teacher. But there's a second thing that we see from Luke chapter 6 and verse 40 that I think is equally important, and we've really already hit around it as we've been talking about it. And that second idea is training to be like Jesus. I have said that Jesus is my master, and now I'm, because of that I'm becoming more like him. 
And so when I am making disciples, I am training people who have made Jesus their master, confessed Him as Lord, surrendered their allegiance to Him, and now growing to be more and more like Him. It's about drawing nearer to Him. And I think this is important. I think this is important because there are a lot of people who give mental assent to Jesus as Lord, and yet they're not actually trying to be like Him. I think this is a struggle that we can often fall into. And if we're not careful, I think even we can fall into this, that even though we've, we've said Jesus is our Lord and our Master, our lives are not actually about Him and our relationship with Him and being more like Him. Sometimes if we're not careful, we might be like that lawyer in Luke chapter 10. There was a lawyer in Luke chapter 10 who came to Jesus and said the same thing the rich young man said. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus here in Luke chapter 10, in this account of it, turns it back on the man and says, Well, what's the law say? How does it read to you? And the man says, Well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus basically points out to him, You already know this stuff. That's exactly right. Go do that and you'll live. Well, seeking to justify himself, the lawyer said, Yeah, well, okay. But who's my neighbor? Now understand what this question is. He has just demonstrated he knows what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to love God and he's supposed to love his neighbor. Now he looks foolish for having even asked the question. And so seeking to justify himself, he says, well, okay, I mean, I get it. My problem is I don't actually know who I have to do this with. If God had been more clear in his rules... I would do it. I know I'm supposed to love my neighbor, but I don't know who my neighbor is. So you've got you to teach me the rule. Who's my neighbor? Is it everybody who's a Jew? Is it everybody who's a part of my tribe? Is it everybody who lives uh, three miles from me, a Sabbath day journey from me? Which people do I really have to love? I want you to notice the problem here. Here's a man that is not interested in becoming like God. Here's a man that's not interested in drawing near to Jesus. Here's a man that's interested in figuring out what the rules are, where the lines are drawn, and let me draw near to those. I want to barter with God to figure out how much do I actually have to do to get into heaven. How much of this good stuff do I actually have to do so that in the end you'll let me in? I mean, and you know the sad part about that? It's far too often what that also includes is you know, how much of the bad stuff can I play with? I mean, just a little bit, right? I mean, after all, I'm never going to be perfect. So can I, can I do a little bit of this and it'll be okay because I did enough of this and that lets me in? What have we got? We got people there that aren't trying to be like Jesus. They're going to barter over the rules and regulations and forget about the relationship with Jesus Christ. And the amazing thing about it is, is that this is not a discussion about how strict their regulations and rules are. Because there are some people who are like this whose rules and regulations are very loose. Most of us would get on to them, but I'll tell you what, there are some people like this whose rules and regulations are very strict, but they're still not interested in becoming like Jesus. They're just trying to figure out what rules do I have to follow so I can go to heaven. What's a disciple? A disciple is someone who, because Jesus is their master, is being trained to become like him. What does it mean to make disciples? It means to train people to give their allegiance to Jesus as master, as teacher, and then to continue to become like him. 
You know, the interesting thing about this, I think I see this exactly mirrored in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, that's where Jesus says in Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. He talks about a process of discipleship. How do we make disciples? We make disciples by baptizing them and teaching them. Now here's the interesting thing. Don't you know if you want to get somebody baptized, what have you got to do before that? You got to teach them, don't you? Why, did, why didn't Jesus say teaching them and baptizing them? Why does he say baptizing them and teaching them? Did he just not care about the order? Was he like, I'm just mentioning the things that you have to do in the order? No, that's not why. That's because... And I know what I said a little while ago shocked you. Making disciples is not just getting people baptized. Making disciples is getting people to be like Jesus. And so what do we see in this process as Jesus outlines it? Baptizing them and teaching them. Why is baptizing first? Because baptizing, being baptized, is where we call on Jesus' name. That is where we confess the Lord, Jesus, as our Lord. That's what we do. That is giving our allegiance to the Lord. But then what are we supposed to be doing next? See, making disciples is not training people enough to get baptized and then moving on to the next person. Making disciples is training someone to confess their allegiance to the Lord, to call on His name in baptism, and to continue to grow to be like Him because that's what they've done. He says baptizing and teaching because baptizing is not the goal of making a disciple. It's not the end of making a disciple. It's the beginning. So some of the people we meet as we are striving to make them more like Jesus, have never confessed the Lord and have not given their allegiance to the Lord by calling on His name in baptism for the remission of their sins. As we're striving to make them more like the Lord Jesus, we're going to get them to that point. And then we're going to continue to make disciples by training them to be more and more like Jesus. And one of the things this highlights for us is that we use, we use two different terms and we act like they're two different things. We often say make disciples, and then we use another thing of discipling. And we usually view making disciples as what we do to get someone baptized, and discipling is what we do with them after they're baptized. Actually, in the Bible, there's not two different terms for that. Those phrases, making disciples and discipling, translate the exact same term. In fact, in Matthew 28, verse 19, where a lot of our translations say make disciples, some who just translate it literally say discipling. So the reality is making disciples is not something we do with the lost. It's something we do with everyone because we're trying to make them more like Jesus. And discipling is not just something we do with those who are already in Jesus. It's something we do with everyone as we're striving to make them more like Jesus. That's the thing I hope we recognize. What's the, what's the definition of disciple making? It's training people to give allegiance to Jesus as master and then because they've done that, training them to be like Jesus. The second overarching principle the commission of disciple-making. We're already there in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. I want to talk about the commission. What did he say? Go, therefore, and make disciples. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Because of the way many of our English translations deal with this verse, there is a very common misunderstanding about this verse. Perhaps you've heard this. Perhaps you've said this. I know I have in the past. You've heard, I, I've heard it in a couple of different ways. Number one is just the, hey, I'm trying to teach you. There are two commands in this verse. 
Command number one is go. And command number two is make disciples. Have you ever heard anybody say that? Go. Command one. Make disciples. Command two. Or maybe you've heard people say it in a much more snarky way. Inviting people to church isn't evangelism because what Jesus said was go, not invite people to come. You ever heard anybody say something like that? People say that kind of stuff. What I want you to understand is that's not at all what's being said in this passage. That's a misunderstanding because of the way it's often translated. Let me share with you another translation. This is what's called Young's Literal Translation, where he's just taking the words and trying to give you as literal a translation as possible. And I think he really gives us some good insight into what this verse is really saying. Notice how he translates it. Having gone, then, disciple all nations. Having gone. It's really not another command. In the original language here, this word for go is not an imperative. It's not a command. The only command in the verse is make disciples. Disciple. That's the only command. Having gone, having gone is the background. Jesus was not commanding us to go. He was just describing the state that we're always in. He's having gone, make disciples. Now let me ask you this question. How many times a day can you say, I have gone? I mean, when you're at the store, what might you say? I have gone to the store. Here you are, and sometimes we call this going to church, and we can all say, I have gone to church. Can't we say that? Go on vacation. What can you say when you're on vacation? I have gone on vacation. You go to work, and while you're at work, what can you say? I have gone to work. So how many times a day can you say, I have gone? You can say that pretty much all day long, can't you? Just about everywhere you, everywhere you go, you can say, I have gone. I mean, you've gone home. What can you say? I have gone home. Having gone. What are you supposed to do while you're there? Make disciples. Jesus' command is not go on special disciple-making trips and go to special places in order to make disciples. Jesus' teaching is make disciples wherever you go. That's what Jesus is saying. Because everywhere you go, what can you say when you're there? I have gone. And having gone, what am I supposed to do? See, the problem is, because of the way this is said, and because we've got snarky people out there saying all these things to us, we miss what it's actually saying. And we think that disciple-making is something we do on a special trip. You know what I'm going to do? On Saturday from 9 to noon, I'm going to go downtown and I'm going to make disciples. Now, I'm not denying that you can go on special disciple-making trips. There's a good argument that Paul's missionary journeys, that's exactly what they were, special trips in order to go make disciples. I get that. But my point is, is that what Jesus was telling us, this commission is not have special disciple-making trips. Jesus' commission is wherever you go, what are you supposed to be doing while you're there? What are we supposed to be doing while we're there? Making disciples. Discipling others. Everywhere we go. That needs to be what drives us everywhere we go. That's the commission. 
Well, if you're like me, that freaks you out just a little bit. Because when you hear, I'm supposed to be making disciples wherever I go. What, what I hear when I say that is, I'm supposed to be having a Bible study 24 hours a day, seven days a week, everywhere I go. I've gone to Publix, Winn-Dixie, Walmart. I've got to have my Bible out trying to study right there. Nope. I want to share with you some vital behaviors. I want to talk to you. So those are the two overarching principles. The two overarching principles, number one, the definition of disciple-making. Training people to give their allegiance to Jesus, and because they've done that, to be like him. That's the definition of disciple-making. And the commission, do that wherever you go. Do that wherever you go. What I want to share with you now are the two vital behaviors. These are the two vital behaviors that guarantee disciple-making. Now, no doubt, people who make disciples and disciple consistently, there are probably a dozen, maybe even hundreds of behaviors that they're involved in. But I think if we can get these two behaviors down, all those other behaviors will follow. So I want to share with you these two vital behaviors, and I think Jesus demonstrates them in his teaching. We see it in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 5 verse 13. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13, we see vital behavior number one. And what Jesus says there is, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. And in this statement, we see the very first vital behavior for making disciples. And we've all heard the sermons about being the salt of the earth. We've all talked about what it is that salt accomplishes. What what does salt do? Well, it, I mean, I know some of you down here don't know this, but it melts snow. Some of you Chicago, it melts snow, right? Isn't that what it does up in Chicago? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Melts snow and ice. Okay. It seasons food. It can cleanse and be an antiseptic on a wound. We we can list off all these things. Boy, what a great sermon it makes to talk about all the things that salt does and parallel that and say, hey, we as Christians, as disciple makers, we do that stuff. That's great. But if that's all we see, we actually miss the really powerful point here. Because in all those applications of salt, there is one consistent thing that has to take place in every single one of them. Whether we're talking about melting snow, seasoning your food, cleansing a wound, salt has to come in contact with whatever it's impacting. Salt never melts any snow or ice that it doesn't touch. Salt never preserves any meat that it's not packed on. Salt never flavors a meal that it doesn't come in contact with. So what do we see here when we understand I am the salt of the earth? As a disciple maker, I'll tell you what it means. It means I need to be making personal connections. It means I need to be coming in contact with people. I need to be connecting with people. Now, I understand. This by itself is not a very spiritual activity, seemingly. Because I'll be honest with you, this is also the first vital behavior for anybody in sales. This is a vital behavior for network marketing. This is a vital behavior for dating. This is a vital behavior for a lot of things. But it is a vital behavior also for disciple-making. Not because in and of itself... By itself, it's disciple-making. If you stop here, you're not actually making a disciple. But because if you don't start here, you won't make a disciple. Now, I want to talk about something with you for just a moment. This is the place where folks come to... I'm not the first person to make this point. I'm not the first person to say, hey, if, you, if you're going to be salt, you've got to come in contact with what needs to be salted. There are books written out of the salt shaker. Got to get it out of the salt shaker. But a lot of times, when people talk about getting out of the salt shaker, here's what they'll say. 
You know what? If we want to be the salt of the earth, we've got to get out of the salt shaker. That means we've got to get out of these church buildings and go where the lost people are. Now, I admit that that sounds pretty good. But what I want to suggest to you is it's wrong-headed. And here's why. First of all, remember, disciple-making is not just something we do with the lost. Having gone to church, what am I supposed to do while I'm there? I'm supposed to make disciples. Why? Because making a disciple is not just getting someone baptized, it's getting someone to be more like Jesus. Anybody see any people in this room that need to be more like Jesus? Let me just ask you, is there anybody in this room that needs to be more like Jesus? All right, look around. So, guys, you got your work cut out for you. Here you are with a group of people that need to be made disciples, that need discipling. What are we supposed to do while we're here? We're supposed to make disciples. We need to spend time talking about the things of the Lord. And, and so that idea, got to get out of the salt shaker, got to get out of the church building and go where the lost people are if we're going to make disciples. No. Having gone, we need to make disciples. So it's, it's wrong-headed on that approach. But I'll also tell you, it's, it's also wrong-headed on this approach. Let me ask you a question. Do any of you live in this building? I mean, the fact is, I drove up here with Kevin a little over an hour ago, and there wasn't anybody here. What I know is there was a moment, at least, when none of you guys were here in the church building. Where were you? Anybody go to the store today? Anybody been at work this week? Anybody been at work this week? Okay. Anybody go to school this week? Okay. That statement, well, we got to get out of the salt shaker, we got to get out of the church buildings and go where the lost people are, misses the fact that, brothers and sisters, we are already doing that. Because in just a few moments, and I promise you, it will just be a few moments, we're going to be done. And y'all are going to leave. You're going to go to your neighborhood surrounded by lost people. And on Monday, some of you are going to go to work surrounded by lost people. And between now and then, some of you are going to go to the store and get checked out by lost people and be in line with lost people. You're going to go to the bank and you're going to deposit your money with a lost bank teller. Here's the thing that I want us to understand. We are already getting out of the church building and being around lost people because there aren't special places that lost people hang out. There's not special places where people who are more lost hang out. There are lost people everywhere, and I'm not saying everybody we meet is necessarily lost. This is for illustration purposes. But the fact is we're already getting out of the church buildings and being around lost people. That's not what we need to do. The salt shaker is not the church building. The salt shaker is me. I'm the salt shaker. What have I got to do? I've got to get outside of myself. I've got to realize that I am around lost people, and so what I need to do is start making personal connections. And making personal connections just starts with smiling. You can do that. I just saw you. Looky there. Just smile at people. Say hi. Ask them how their day is going. That's, there's all kinds, there, there's a whole level of making connections. I mean, a whole spectrum of making personal connections. And I tell you what, it means I come into the church building, what have I got to do? I got to get out of my, get outside of myself. I can come into this room and I can isolate and insulate and sit down and get here late and leave early and never make disciples. 
Or I can come in here and I can get outside myself and start talking to people and making those connections. And there's, again, a whole spectrum. It begins with saying hi. It begins, at, how's your day? Asking some of the questions some of you guys ask me. So, where are you from? Where you live? Where'd you grow up? Oh, I grew up here and we're talking back and forth. That's making a personal connection. Again, I understand that that moment itself may not be disciple-making, but if you don't do those things, you won't ever make disciples. That's where it starts. And making that personal connection, maybe having that conversation, having, making that personal connection, maybe just finding out more, listening to what's going on in their world and their family. It may mean going next door and serving your neighbor because they're in a hard time. Making a personal connection. All of those things are part of that. That's the first vital behavior. You will not make disciples unless you are making personal connections. Now, if you're an introvert, I know that sounds kind of scary. But I'm not asking you to be with masses of people. I'm asking you just to care about people enough to connect to them. And even introverts care about people enough to say hi. If you're like me, you're a task-oriented person, and that means you don't think about the people. And that's the problem. You're focused on, i got to deposit this money. I'm not even thinking about that bank teller. I didn't even notice who that bank teller was. I couldn't tell you when it's done if it was a man or a woman. Because I'm here to deposit money, not make connections. What have I got to do? I've got to get outside of myself because I'm the salt shaker. Then we see the second vital behavior. The second vital behavior is right after this one. Matthew 5.13 said, you're the salt of the earth. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14 says, you are the light of the world. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, just reading this verse on the surface, we might say, oh, so the second vital behavior is doing good works. In fact, some people would tell you that the second vital behavior is a subset of good works, of just doing benevolent works. Making sure that you feed the poor and house the homeless and clothe those. And those are all good works. And those are things Christians should be doing as we have opportunity. But the problem is this says, let your light shine in a way that when they're done seeing that, who do they give glory to? Me? No, they give glory to God. Now, brothers and sisters, friends and neighbors, here's something that we need to understand. There are a lot of people who do a lot of good things. There are atheists who are nice. There are agnostics who make dinner for their neighbor when they're in a hard time. There are Muslims who are honest on the job. There are Buddhists who love their wives. There are Mormons that serve their neighbor. There are pagans and Wiccans and just who donate to charities. And go do good things. So we actually have to dig a little bit beneath the surface. What is, how, what is it that we do that causes our good works to shine the light on God? I'll tell you what it is. It's what we talk about. It's what we say. It's what we say when we do those good things. It's, it's how we talk about as we go through our lives. And so the second vital behavior for you Start spiritual conversations. Make personal connections 
and start spiritual conversations. When we make personal connections, it's not for the ulterior motive of doing this. We make personal connections because we care about people. In fact, if you're only making personal connections because all the way along you're trying to figure out how to get to the ulterior motive of starting a spiritual conversation, you're probably going to come off like a used church salesman. And you're going to shoot yourself in the foot. But if you're making personal connections because you care about people, you're a spiritual person, what else are you going to do because you care about people? You're going to talk about spiritual things with them. Both of these things happen just because you care about people. That's, that's the thing that we have to grasp. I need to be a person that gets outside myself. And because I'm outside of myself, my, I have a friend who calls it this. Let me see if I can remember how he says it. Eyes up, around, eyes open, eyes up, eyes around. I need to be looking up, looking out, looking around. That's how it goes. In other words, if I'm walking through life, you know, with my iPhone, if I go into the restaurant and I've got my, my iPod in, and I've got to be paying attention, making connection. That's, that's what I've got to be doing. And starting spiritual conversations. A spiritual conversation... can be any number of things that you can do to start a spiritual conversation. I was at Chick-fil-A yesterday, and Barbara. Barbara's there. She was a worker. She's cleaning tables, cleaning tables. And I saw her, and I said, and you know, they, they wear name tags, so I know her name's Barbara. Hey, Barbara, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. She said, well, you know, you know my name. I don't know your name. I said, I know. Don't you wish we all had to wear name tags? She said, yes. I sure do. I said, well, I'm Edwin. And we got to talking for a little bit. And you know what was interesting is somewhere in there, she's, she's talking, oh, I, I know, remember, I started talking about my daughter who used to work at that particular Chick-fil-A, and did she remember her? See, it's just, I'm just making connections. I'm trying to make a connection here. Maybe you know my daughter. And here we're, we're just moving along, getting to know her a little bit better. I'm learning a little bit about her family. And then all of a sudden, number one, I noticed she's got a cross necklace. And number two, as she's talking about all these different places she's worked, then she gets around to talking about what she's doing here at Chick-fil-A. And she's like, people are sometimes just amazed. Here I am out here cleaning this chair. And she says, you know what? I just try to, I, I just fear I've got to work for the Lord. And so I said, aha. I said, so are you, are you a believer then? Absolutely, I am a believer. Jesus is everything to me. His grace, he died on the cross for my sins. He is everything for me. And she went and talked a little bit about that. And so I said, well, hey, do you, I'm assuming that if you live around here, you've got a church home. Yes, I do. My family goes, and she went through all this. And then all of a sudden, she asked, she said, hey, well, do you go to church? I mean, what, what church are you a part of? What's your story? And I said, well, mine's a little bit different from yours. I, I grew up in, in, in a household of believers, and in fact, I was a part of a, a denominational church. And, and then, to be honest with you, my mom died. And when my mom died... My dad started going to a church, and they talked about like just being a Christian only. And that really ticked me off. So, but then we, uh, my dad got married to the, my stepmom, and they sent me off for a week while they were on their honeymoon. And an old family friend who was in this particular denomination, it was the Baptist denomination, and uh, I was just really mad that somebody was saying that 
I shouldn't be a kind of Christian, but be just a Christian. But lo and behold, I overhear him talking to his nephew who's a pastor, and he says, you know, if they keep doing this in our convention, I'm going to quit being a Baptist and just be a Christian. And I was stunned. And I decided when that happened, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to just be a Christian. I want to be a kind of Christian. I want to just be a Christian. What do you mean by that? And then we talked about that some more. And then she kind of pushed back a little bit, you know, that everything's just okay as long as Jesus is Lord. And I said, well, you know, I just want to get away from the divisions and just be a Christian. Kind of the conversation wrapped up like that. Thought we were done. A few minutes later, she comes back to the table. She said, by the way, what church is it that you go to? And I said, oh, we're just a group of Christians that meet over here on Livingston Avenue, and we've got little invitation cards, kind of like what you guys have over here. And I said, here, you can come check us out sometime. And so it turned into an invitation. Had no idea where it was going to go. Again, no ulterior motives, not trying to get to a certain place, but just caring about a person and so getting outside of self, making that connection, and when that opportunity comes up to have that spiritual conversation, making sure to jump into it. Another aspect of this is make plans. You know, there are a lot of conversations that we have over and over and over again, and we don't ever think about it. If we learn to capitalize on those conversations and say things that spark spiritual curiosity, think about this. It's Monday, and you've gone to work. What do you get asked almost every Monday? How was your, how was your weekend? You get asked that from somebody on the job. You get asked that if you go into the store and the checkout clerk is, you know, you, you bought a lot of things, and so now they're making small talk. That person will ask you, so how was your weekend? Somebody just shared with me recently a great thing to say. You ready? You might say, well, Saturday wasn't much, but Sunday was amazing. Now, what have you done? Generate a little cute. What would you do on Sunday? Now, I promise you, if you tell them, I went to church, they're going to say, oh, okay. But what if you say, I got to be in the presence of God with my brothers and sisters? Or what if you say, I got to hear somebody talk about the Word of God, and they talked to me about what it means to be a disciple. Man, it was amazing. That might generate some curiosity. Now look, here's the thing you need to understand about all of this. You might make a personal connection, smile, say hi, and they don't want to talk. Okay, that's fine. You're just trying to make personal connections. You may start a spiritual conversation and say, man, Sunday was amazing. I got to be in the presence of God, worshiping God. It was amazing. I wish everybody could experience that. And they may look at you and say, you're crazy. I mean, they might. I, I don't know. I don't know where any of it's going to go. But I tell you this. I know where it's going to go if you don't make connections and you don't start spiritual conversations. It's going to go nowhere. You may be amazed at how often when you make personal connections and start spiritual conversations, you actually get to the point of being able to talk about the gospel. Get to the point of inviting someone to come and see because there really are two main spiritual conversations that we do want to get to. I think of it as the, the come and see. We see that with the Samaritan woman at the well who went back into Sychar and said, come see a man. That's the invitation. Come see. 
Or it could be the go and tell. In Mark chapter 5, Jesus heals the Gerizim demoniac. And all the people in the town want him to leave because he just killed off all their pigs. What's he tell that guy? That guy says, I want to follow you. And he says to that guy, no, no. Go tell your friends and family everything I've done for you. So I'm wanting to get to those spiritual conversations. The come and see. See, that's what happened with Barbara. I was able finally to get to. I didn't know I was going to. In fact, I got to a point where I thought, well, we were done. She's not really interested in what I had to say about spiritual things. But then she came back up to me and said, well, where is it that you go? And what did I get to do? I got to say, come and see. Just a group of Christians that meet over here on Livingston Avenue. Come and see. Or go and tell. You do those two vital behaviors, and let me promise you what's going to happen. You're going to start making disciples. We need to be doing that with one another, and we need to be doing that everywhere we go. So I want us to think about an example. An example of Jesus there with the woman at the well in John chapter 4. John chapter 4. John chapter 4, Jesus is traveling through Samaria. He's heading to Galilee. And what folks normally did was they crossed over the Jordan and went up, and then, but Jesus went straight through Samaria. And he gets to Sychar, and he's hungry, and he's tired, and so he sends the disciples to get some food, and a woman comes out. You know the story. Many of you do, right? Comes out, and I want you to notice what Jesus does. In John 4, 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now here's the thing I want us to think about. Definition of disciple making. Training people to give allegiance to Jesus as their master and to be more like him. What's he doing? He's training her about who he is. If you had known, you'd have asked me for living water. By the time this is done, she's saying, is this the Messiah? Is this the guy we're supposed to be giving our allegiance to? See, that's his goal. That's what he's accomplishing. The commission, wherever you go. Jesus is, Jesus is not going into Samaria to make disciples. He's on his way through Samaria to get to Galilee. Now, he's going to do a lot of disciple-making work there. But here he is. Understand, right now he's tired, he's hungry, he's resting, and here's this woman. But what does he do? He didn't go to that well in order to make disciples, but what does he do while he's there? Wherever you go, make disciples. See, that's what Jesus did. And how did he accomplish it? One, by making a connection. Give me a drink. And this was an odd connection because it was a Jew talking to a Samaritan woman. That connection itself prompted some curiosity. But then she said, why, why are you talking to me? And he said, let me tell you who you're talking to. If you'd known who you were talking to, you'd have asked me and I'd have given you living water. Sparking that spiritual curiosity. And one of the things I want you to notice here, he made that connection and he didn't wait until he and that woman became best friends to move to the spiritual conversation. That's one of the mistakes we often make. I've got to make connections, but we've got to be really close. Have you ever heard this? They won't know how much you care. Excuse me. They won't care how much you know till they know how much you care. And I get there's some truth to that statement. But that statement is killing disciple-making. 
Because there are a whole bunch of people that, oh, man, I don't know if they know that I care enough. i got to do a lot more nice things for them. And, and usually what that statement becomes is an excuse to wait around to have the spiritual conversation. We think that there's this right moment that if, if I wait until this just right moment when they know how much I care, then they'll care when I bring up the spiritual stuff. I want you to notice Jesus didn't do that. First opportunity. He took the conversation as spiritual. Again, look for those opportunities. Make connections. Start spiritual conversations. That's what Jesus did. And so if we do that, we'll be making disciples wherever we go. Brothers and sisters, friends and neighbors, thank you very much for your patience tonight. This probably should have been like a three-part series, but I, I, I can only come one night. So here we are. The two overarching principles and the two vital behaviors. And here's what I want for most everybody. You know, we're going we're gonna to sing a song here in just a moment, number 351. If you want to go ahead and get out your songbooks, you can do that. 351, Will You Not Tell It Today? I'm going to offer an invitation here in just a moment, but let me point out, for most of us here, we have given our allegiance to Jesus already. And so my, my invitation to you, if you've already given your allegiance to Jesus, I'm not, I mean, if you want to do this, you can. I've I got to be careful how I say this. But to be honest with you, I'm not asking you to come forward to tell me you haven't done it enough. Look, to be honest with you, I already know you haven't done it enough. I mean, if all of us are going to come forward who haven't done this enough, let me start the line right here. Okay, none of us have done this enough. We all need to be doing this more. That's why we're here, to talk about that and encourage that. But here's what I want to invite you to do. I want to invite you to start a conversation here. A conversation here that says, all right, let's talk about this. What are some habits I need to develop to make more connections? What are some habits I need to develop to start more spiritual conversations? That's the conversation you need to be having. If you guys start doing that, then tonight's lesson will have been a success. Start having that conversation. What can we do to make connections as individuals to start spiritual conversations? Have those conversations. Now I understand that there may be someone here tonight who has not given their allegiance to Jesus yet. Who has not seen Jesus as master, as Lord, as teacher. I want to encourage you. That's, that's what being a disciple is. Letting Jesus be your master. See, everybody else in the world thought you were supposed to be done at 8 o'clock. We're close. Let Jesus be your master. Ananias said to Saul, what are you waiting for? Arise and be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on the name of the Lord. So that's what that's about, calling on His name, giving your allegiance to Him. How do we do that? We do that by believing that He is the Master, He is the Lord, He is the Son of God, who came into this world, who died so that our sins could be taken away, who rose from the dead so He could be our King, and now we're going to kneel before Him, being immersed in water, calling on His name, calling on Him as Lord, and be raised to walk in a new life, a life that is about becoming like Him. If you have not given your allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ, we want to encourage you to do that tonight. We're going to sing this song, Will You Not Tell It Today? 
How many of these verses are we going to sing? We're going to sing all three of them. Don't wait till the third verse. If you want to give your allegiance to Jesus, we're going to stand up, and you can step out in the aisle, and you can come right down here. Kevin will talk to you, and we'll help you confess Jesus and call on Him as Lord. If we can help you with that tonight, please come right now as we stand and sing.